the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time to sit back, relax, and listen to Conversations with Joan. Conversations with Joan will inspire, motivate, and empower you. Live your best life now. Listen, learn, think, and decide. And now, here's your host, Joan Herman. Welcome to Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life's Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. Conversations with Joan focuses on topics that are important to your life, from health and wellness to professional development to personal well-being. Changemakers join me to share their insights, tips, and strategies so you can thrive and live your best life now. Thank you for taking time for yourself, and thank you for letting us be a part of your life. Now, let's start talking. Today's guest, John Chambers, went from being a dyslexic kid from West Virginia to one of the world's most successful business leaders. In his new book, Connecting the Dots, John shares leadership principles that have helped him outmaneuver competitors to grow a multi-billion dollar company. John is a former executive chairman and CEO at Cisco, where he served as a company's global leader for more than two decades. He has worked closely with government leaders from around the world, and he served on committees for two U.S. presidents, earning the first-ever Clinton Global Citizen Award, as well as the Woodrow Wilson Award for Corporate Citizenship. He is also the founder and CEO of JC2 Ventures, where he helps startups scale and lead market transitions. In 2016, he received the Edison Achievement Award. Harvard Business Review named him one of the best-performing CEOs in the world, and he was named Best Boss in America by 2020. Welcome, John. Thank you so much for joining us today. Joan, it's going to be a pleasure, and thank you very much. So, John, listening to that bio in our introduction, it's amazing everything that you have accomplished. You went from being a dyslexic kid to a world leader in business. Let's start in the beginning. What was your childhood like? Well, I was very fortunate. I had two parents who were doctors. Uh, my mom broke a lot of the gender barriers in terms of about Victoria University School, uh, an athlete, uh, a woman doctor, which at that time was rather unusual, and they had dual career paths where each one watched out for the other one. She taught me the emotional uh, connection side, and my dad was an unusually good business leader. Most doctors are notoriously not good at business, mm-hmm. but he taught me a lot about being around the corners and getting transitions right. Growing up in West Virginia, I almost drowned when I was six years old. And this kind of teaches you about my parents. Uh, I got was fishing with my dad, and I got swept away in the rapids. And he had told me not to get to it near the edge of the rocks, and I fell in. And it was at a place where people had drowned, and one did later in life that I actually knew. And as I was going through the rapids, he started to chase me down the side of the uh, river, yelling, hold on to the fishing pole, hold on to the fishing pole. And, you know, and clearly each time I got my head above water, he was still yelling at me to hold on to the fishing pole. It's an ugly fishing pole, maybe cost $5, black, et cetera. But if, if he was concerned about the fishing pole, I held on to it with both hands. And he got a couple hundred yards below me, swam out and got me and pulled me to the side. And he taught me at that time, one of the most important lessons in life is when you're caught up in a period that is really challenging or even life-threatening, importance not to panic. Stay very focused on what you're doing. Don't try to swim against the tide or against the current. Uh, and then just work your way over to the side. And then at six years old, he didn't tell mom this. He put me back in the water and let me swim it on my own. <laughs> and uh, he taught me so much about life and lessons. And West Virginia was the top state in the union in terms of the chemical industry, top in coal mining, and we got disrupted and fell to one of the bottom states. So I also learned in West Virginia what happens if you don't change, disrupt or be disrupted, if you will. John, how do you think that that lesson impacted the way you handled situations throughout your career? Oh, it's huge, Joan. It basically, most of the time, my wife would say almost all the time, uh, when something really challenging happens, I don't overreact to it. 
I'm realistic on how much of it were self-inflicted and how much of it was market-driven. Uh, I then plan for how long it's going to last and how do you react to it, paint the picture of what we look like when we come out of it, then communicate appropriately to the constituencies, whether it's shareholders, employees, the market, customers, et cetera. So I'm a believer in an innovation playbook, and life's experience teach you how to deal with it. I'm also a dyslexic, and once you overcome major challenges in life, first, you never laugh about anybody else, uh, but secondly, you learn how to take a weakness and potentially make it a strength, and so it impacts you in a major way, uh, you, and it has to do with what you talk about all the time. It's change your attitude and, and change your life. If you have the courage to deal with your challenges and learn you can do it, then you know how to deal with the challenges in the future. So, John, when you joined Cisco, the company had 400 employees and one product, $1.2 billion in revenue. When you left, 20 years later, it was a multinational tech conglomerate with revenues of $47 billion, and it was a leader in areas from cybersecurity to self-driving cars. You turned more than 10,000 employees into millionaires, more than any company in history. So everything that you've been describing to this point, was that your philosophy for reinvention? It was. It, it, it has to go that if you watch what happens in West Virginia where we didn't change and wonderful people, and I'm still very much committed to the state and trying to help them become a startup state, but because we didn't change, we got left behind. And it happened in Boston. I route 128 around Boston used to be the high-tech center of the world. We couldn't even spell Silicon Valley. And yet the mini computer industry got completely destroyed and companies like Wang and, and Data General and DEC with 40,000 to 110,000 employees vanished. So it's taught me in life that you have to identify market transitions, especially when they're combined with technology and they wait for no one. But it also taught me that if you see them coming and you have the courage to be bold and realize with that you're going to fail periodically, there's almost nothing you can't achieve. So deeply embedded in what helped lead Cisco and to take a company from $70 million in sales to $48 billion was, was a real rush. And, and to share the success both with the employees and our shareholders and to win almost every corporate social responsibility award there, there was from both Democratic administrations of Clinton, Obama, and Republican administrations of uh, Condi Rice, Secretary of State, with President Bush. Uh, we we basically, I think, did a very good job on both the business front, but also on the corporate social responsibility giving back front, which I know you're a huge believer in as well, Jen. Well, and, and John, you say that the winners won't be the biggest or the richest players, but the ones who can connect the dots what does it mean to connect the dots? It's the ability to see transitions coming and then deal with them both from a positive and realistic on the challenges. So connecting the dots that your viewership would really, I think, understand is I was on the board of Walmart and we saw Amazon coming, yet we couldn't out-execute them on combining a online world with a physical world. And in 21 years, they moved past the value of Walmart in terms of a public company. Tesla did the same thing to GM in 14 years. Uber, a car replacement, not a taxi cab, but a shared asset replacement for automobile purchases, moved past GM in seven years. 21, 14, 7, they're going to get tighter. And so you've got to understand how quickly these changes occur and understand they wait for no one. And the major mistake you can actually make is doing the right thing for too long. Because then you get stuck again, and then you end up getting left behind. You get left behind, and the brutality of it can be loss of job. It can be loss mm -hmm. of the state's leadership. It can be a nation's leadership. And I think we're, as a nation, are being challenged about we're no longer an innovation nation. We're not in the top ten in the world, according to Bloomberg. And we are almost taking for granted that if we continue to do what we're doing, the right thing, that it won't result in a problem for us when, in fact, it will. Nations such as France and India, which you would have never thought of in terms of innovation or great uh, place to do business, are blowing past us. And, you know, John, I want to point out that we're talking about large corporations, but everything that you're describing can be applied to a person on any level. I started this Excellent. work. I created a company, John, when I was 43 years old after raising two children and getting divorced and going through some extensive personal losses. And that's where this brand and company came from. And I started it without a dime of personal investment 
and I've been in the block since day one. And it has been solely because I have done the things that you have described. I've, I'm totally reinventing myself on a regular basis, thinking outside of the box. I, I like to say that I'm a master of spinning gold out of straw. And I think it, it comes down to everything that you're describing. And I, and I bring that up because I want people to understand whether you're a CEO of a corporation like Cisco or you're a, a single entrepreneur like myself, these principles apply. They absolutely do. And I think they apply to leadership, period. Uh, if you're a parent and you know this, and, and congratulations on raising two great kids mm-hmm. uh, as a, a single parent, that is hard to do. And the ability to really deal with your challenges in life do determine more who you are than your successes. Jack Welch taught me that uh, on it. But if you were to use the example of what I'm doing now with JC2 Ventures, I get to see every startup in the world. And it is so exciting being a coach and a mentor and a strategic partner with them, even more than an investor. And you suddenly see a company that does secure phones, that your phone could be tapped anytime. Uh, this company has the ability to protect that and a shield capability. But 17 people all of a sudden having a chance to become a major exciting force in the security industry and watching them grow and scale. So it's that replicatable innovation playbook that I ran at Cisco doing 180 acquisitions uh, while as CEO there, or what I did in country digitization with countries like Israel and France and uh, uh, India with the government leaders in each of those locations, or now what I'm doing and selecting the startups. And instead of doing it in a single geography, trying to do it across all of the major states in the U.S., a subset of that with a model that can work again and again. So I had the chance to to play a small role in changing the world once with the Internet and Cisco changing literally the way you work, live, learn, and play. And secondly, now doing it with startups as startup companies, startup states, startup nations, and startup world. That That is exciting. And, and to the point that you're making so effectively, you've got to have the ability to dream and be bold. And you've got to be willing to disrupt yourself and get outside your comfort zone. John, do you think this is a good time to start a business? I think it is a very good time to start a business, but I think our government, and I used to keep government as far away as possible, has to create a much more business conducive environment. Uh, We've got so much regulations for startups and so many hurdles going against us, including many people having very large college loans still outstanding at a time that uh, is so key. And we've got to be progressive on our immigration strategy. Startups in Fortune 500, 40% of them were founded by immigrants or uh, second generation of uh, immigrant families. Same thing with startups. So do I think it's a good time? Yes. Do I think we need to put this on steroids and ramp it up by a factor of three to four fold, yes, and I think it requires government and business and citizens working together. We have a crisis coming at us. Mm-hmm. The high-tech industry will destroy more jobs through digitization and automation in the large companies than large companies will add. And so if you don't get the startup engine going well, we're going to leave behind a lot of America. So I think it's a good time. I think we could make it great, and I hope that my book and, and being an example of this will help help others say, how do we do it on more of a scale basis? So, John, you work with startups, and you've shared a few things that you think business owners need to do in order to succeed. What are some of the other biggest mistakes that you believe business owners make today? Well, some of them are very basic. Uh, In the role of a business owner, regardless of whether the company is two people or 10,000 people, is strategy and vision for the company, develop, recruit, and retain the leadership team to do that, culture and communication of the above. Mistakes that business owners might surprise you as many of them don't understand how important culture is. You never have a strong company that lasts without a strong culture. You may like the culture, you may not, but culture is a huge component part of the success of a company, almost equivalent to strategy and vision. And I enjoy teaching that to the young companies. And then when you see the CEO, she or he get it, your eyes just get so excited that they really understand the power. Communications. You didn't have to be a good communicator in the Jack Welch era who was in generation in front of me. Uh, Jack was very good on vision and strategy, great with teams uh, and high expectations of the team, but not world-class in communications. Today, you've got to be able to listen to social media. You've got to be able to communicate with your employees and customers. You've got to realize that the way you're communicating with your customers today probably isn't achieving their goals, and you've got to have the courage to change. So 
culture and communications are probably two elements that are even uh, more important. John, you wrote that a friend once told you that you can't describe a company or leader as great until that person has gone through a near-death experience and come back. Why do you believe that some people are able to survive such an experience while others give up? I think sometimes you survive because of your upbringing. Sometimes you survive because of your friends and family around you or even your children and how important it is that you have to get through it. And sometimes you survive just because you you know you either disrupt or you're going to get disrupted and you're unwilling to suffer the consequences if not. Most companies that get knocked on their tail don't get back up. Mm-hmm. That friend was actually Jack Welch who told me during the 90s, we were just becoming the most valuable company in the world. And we created 10,000 millionaires at Cisco and shared the wealth with our employees. And our shareholders were happy. We had the best customer satisfaction in the industry. He said, John, you have a good company. I said, Jack, what does it take to have a great one? He said, a near-death experience. Mm -hmm. He called me up after the dot-com bubble of 2001. And he said, John, you now have a great company and you're now a great leader. I said, Jack, it doesn't feel like it. My shareholders are upset with me. My employees are questioning my ability to lead. Some are even saying, should I be leading Cisco, et cetera. And it's really painful. And he said, no, John, this was your best leadership year ever. And I said to him, Jack, you're probably the only person that's ever going to say that to me. And by the way, he was uh, mm-hmm. on it. But he was right. It's how you handle your setbacks there and it determines who you are as a parent, as a leader, as an individual. And all of us are going to get knocked down. The key is, can you get up? Know what knocks you down, develop your path to how you're going to do things differently so you don't get knocked down again and then go forward. You know, I agree with that statement because the people that I have met through doing this work, the the ones who have been knocked down, are the ones that come back stronger. They're the ones that learn the important life lessons. So when I read that, I said, amen, because to me, that is exactly what I have learned from the years of doing this. So who were your role models? Who were the people that inspired you to be great? You know, it's interesting. My parents clearly played a key role in it. My mom taught me the emotional side, but it, it there was never an ambition to be great. The, the ambition was just to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And uh, my dad clearly taught me to see around corners and how you work through it. It may surprise you. I've, I've, I've learned so much from leaders that you're, your listeners will, will recognize but leaders that were just normal people as well, from a Shimon Perez out of Israel who taught me so much about leadership and leadership being lonely and how you can make a difference in peace in the Middle East by giving back and startups uh, to watching Emmanuel Macron have the courage to try to change France's direction and Prime Minister Modi uh, attempting 1.3 billion people to make India a startup nation and double the per capita income every seven to ten years. All of those had a very much an aspect in it. But where you're leading me, I agree with you, and it's one of the things I'm concerned about. I'm a huge believer in gender equality, and my mom taught me that, and we had 30% of our directors at Cisco being female before anybody even thought of a number like that, just because it was the right thing to do. And it's all about talent. But I think often what people miss is people willing to invest in them and people willing to be a coach and a advisor uh, for females, and it's something I, I think we have to do differently. You know from your background uh, it is much more difficult for a female entrepreneur to raise money than a male entrepreneur with the exact same idea, and maybe only gets a third of the money funded to it. And what is it, 60 to 70% of the female leaders will tell you they do not have a advisor coach that, that will spend the time with them, where I had the luxury of having quite a few that helped make a difference on that. So I think the importance of gender equality and, and how we we balance that, because diverse teams will beat teams that look alike. And when 54% of your population in this country uh, is college-educated female, we have to do a much better job of creating the right environment for success there. John, what piece of advice would you offer to someone who's starting out? Dream big and be bold. Know that you could fail and don't view failure as a uh, a, a negative result. Most of the startups I invest in have failed before. I've clearly achieved more success than I ever dreamed was possible and try to give back as much as I can, but I clearly have had failures along the way and I openly talk about them. And I learned from the beginning, being dyslexic, if you can overcome issues in life and you can realize you can overcome them, you can do it again and again. But if there's one concept, I think 
as an individual and as a nation, we need to be dreaming big again and putting the U.S. number one in terms of innovation, putting a person on the moon again. So those are kind of my thoughts. I'm a dreamer, but I'm a believer in making dreams come true. The book is Connecting the Dots, Lessons for Leadership in a Startup World. John, in about 30 seconds or less, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is leadership. You can learn innovation models. You can do again and again. You've got to realize if you don't change, you'll get left behind. The worst recipe for the future is to continue to do the right thing too long. Have the courage to reinvent yourself, form relationships for life, especially with your customers, and realize that you can learn from everybody around you, build great things. John, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing some strategies to help us reinvent ourselves and win in today's world. Your insight is invaluable, and I'm so happy that you were here to share it with us. So thank you. It was my honor, and thank you for making it so easy. Uh, Not bad for a person you said from New Jersey, is that right? (laughs) That's right, New Jersey, and this is airing in New York. So every once in a while we get it right, John. And we do, and and same thing for a person from West Virginia. It's about (laughs) handling your challenges in life. It's been fun. I love the interview. Again, thank you for you giving back. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. This is Conversations with Joan. Stay with us. We'll be right back. How much can the right foods do for you? A lot more than weight control. The right foods can increase your energy, improve your outlook, and strengthen your body's natural defenses. What foods can do all that? Primo Health Solutions will show you using metabolic typing. This remarkable program lets your body tell you what it needs to work best. Call them today at 347-903-7030. That's 347-903-7030. Or go to PrimoHealthSolutions.com. Using metabolic typing, Primo Health Solutions will let your body work best. If you're a person living with any discomfort, have trouble sleeping, or the many other issues that come with getting older, I have great news for you. You have a chance to do something for yourself and at the same time help a U.S. veteran. My name is Janice Coviello. For years, I've been living with knee pain and discomfort every time I did something active, even walking. But after eight knee surgeries, countless bottles of Advil, and hyaluronic acid injections, I was desperate for relief. My doctor told me a knee replacement was my only option. To avoid another surgery, I found another solution, a transdermal gel known for reducing joint pain, faster recovery from injuries, enhancing strength, and promoting natural tissue repair. I started using the gel with amazing results. For the first time in 17 years, I could run without Advil. In addition, I sleep better and have so much more energy. But just don't take my word for it. Go to Forever young.org to learn how the purchase of this product can benefit you and also help a U.S. veteran. That's the number four, everyyoung.org. Calm, vitality, mindfulness. We all want them, but they seem so hard to attain. Escape the stress and frenzy of the city streets. New York Open Center offers courses, trainings, and a vibrant community to help you start your journey for a more balanced and healthy life. Visit our website at opencenter.org for more information. Stop by our cafe and bookstore for all your wellness needs. Find your center at 30th and Madison. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. to live a happy, productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Harriet Cabelli, a social worker and positive psychology coach who helps people grow through their challenges and rebuild their lives with renewed meaning and joy. Harriet is here today to discuss the importance of having a sense of purpose. Welcome, Harriet. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Jones. Great to be here. 
So, Harry, we hear so many people say that they are searching for meaning in their life. How does having a sense of purpose inform our lives? So that is a huge concept and question in our society today, because as I'm sure we all know, our society is ridden with existential angst, which I believe is causing a lot of our societal ills. The idea of purpose and meaning, which really it comes a lot out of Dr. Viktor Frankl's work, a prominent psychiatrist who uh, survived the concentration camps. Um, and he speaks all about this. In fact, his whole concept of logotherapy, which is the therapy of meaning and purpose, addresses this. That when we have a purpose, not that huge ultimate existential reason of what is the meaning of life in that big way, but rather purpose with a small p in terms of our purpose, our meaning as an individual. What's our purpose, our values? our goals? How do we assign meaning to our individual lives? In other words, when we wake up in the morning, what is our reason? Our life has a reason. We have a reason to be here. What is that? What makes our life valuable? What are we doing? And it's usually meanings that go beyond ourselves, which could be large, but it's also daily meanings and purposes in our daily lives. Each and every day we find meaning. Now, having said that, I just want to say that our purpose is fluid and it changes within our lives as we evolve, as we go through different circumstances. As I say, we, like, we repurpose our lives when we've gone through a loss or a challenge and we come out and we reexamine our lives and we have to find renewed purpose. So it changes. It's not static. Harriet, how does having a sense of purpose in what we do contribute to a greater well-being? So a lot of studies are showing that in the blue zone areas of, in the world, those are the hot spots where people live the longest and the healthiest, and that in these blue zones, they're discovering that purpose is one of the big nine factors in contributing to people's longer lives and healthier lives, that connecting ourselves intentionally to our values and to what matters to us, meaning our purpose and what we're here for, creates a sense of well-being that we will live longer because we're infused with a passion, because we're living intentionally into what's important to us. But we, we need to be aligned with that, with our values, with what matters to us, which what what makes our life worth living. And it doesn't have to be something, again, huge. It can be our relationships, our children, our home, our gardening. I mean, I'm taking small things, small but big. In other words, it doesn't have to be this esoteric, you know, thing that, that we strive for that we may never achieve. So it's, it's the idea that when we live into what matters to us clearly, it helps keep us on track. And I want to also say that having a clear sense of purpose is, is a good coping skill as well. And if I can give just one brief personal example, when my daughter had a, a medical crisis and I lived up in the hospital with her for nine months, and every morning I was getting up and going to spend time with her, and I could very easily have fallen into a state of depression. And I was very clear on every morning, like a robot, getting up and showering and doing what I had to do. My purpose was to be her cheerleader for those many hours every day, to do what I can to help boost her morale towards working, doing her therapies and working the hardest that she can. And connecting to that purpose, for my being up there every day really helped me to put one step forward each and every day and not sink into sadness and depression. So purpose is also very big in terms of coping when we have difficult times to go through. But again, it's being clear and intentional of what that is, what's driving us, what's motivating us, what's, what's keeping us on track, what are we connecting to that's meaningful and valuable to us. Harriet, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about Harriet and her work, you can visit her website, 
rebuildlifenow.com. And as always, to hear more about Harriet, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Harriet. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Joan Herman. Did you know that Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life publishes a free monthly digital magazine that can be read online or emailed to your inbox? Every month, nationally recognized leaders in their field provide information to educate, inspire, and motivate you. We believe in a holistic approach to life, incorporating mind, body, and spirit. Check out a copy of 24-7 Magazine, visit CYACYL.com, and be sure to tell your friends. This is WNYM, Hackensack, New Jersey, New York City. Conversations with Joan. I'm Joan Herman. Thanks for staying with us. A new survey shows that more than one third of teens don't expect to be financially independent of their parents by age 30. Joining us to talk about how parents can help their kids achieve economic success is Ed Korholski, Senior Vice President Brand at Junior Achievement USA. Welcome, Ed. Thanks for joining us. Well, thank you, Joan. So, Ed, a survey that was conducted by Junior Achievement and Citizens Bank shows that teens lack confidence when it comes to achieving financial goals. What are some of the factors that you believe contribute to the inability of our kids to achieve financial independence? Well, I think one of the challenges is that kids don't um, often have the opportunity to actually manage money. Um, you know, sometimes the parents will just provide them money to go buy things. And so kids really have to be given an opportunity to create budgets, to save, to, to set financial goals and, and work to achieve them. And so that's certainly one of the things that we would encourage uh, parents to do with their kids if they have an allowance or if they have some sort of outside income to really encourage them to, to take those steps to, to plan for the future. I think one of the benefits that I've experienced in my life, I'm the child of depression parents. So I was always raised with the, it was always drilled in me, the importance of saving and of being frugal and living within your means. And I think that I was able to instill that in in my kids. And fortunately, they're financially independent. But I think it was because, like you're saying, I started savings accounts for them when the time they were christened. And from that point on, every time they earned money, I took them to the bank and I encouraged them to make that deposit. And I think they started to get excited when they would see that number go up. So do you recommend doing something similar to get our kids started at a very early age? Uh, absolutely. I think any opportunity you have to have kids uh, work with money in a savings account is a great way to start that. The other thing that we found from uh, the survey is there's been a year-over-year increase in the percentage of kids who are actually earning money outside of the house through a job, for example. And of those that have jobs, they're more inclined to actually have a bank account. And so there is a correlation between the ability to earn money and the willingness to learn how to manage it. So in addition to a bank account, what are some other options? What are some other ways that kids can save? Well, you know, one of the things that we found from the survey is there are a lot of kids out there that are doing unbanked saving, you know, in shoebox, piggy bank. I mean, for younger kids, that's certainly a good way to, to start doing things. The other thing is to um, we're trying to encourage um, young people to really start thinking about, um, you know, once they're out of high school, once they have their first job, uh, you know, learning about what a Roth IRA is, for example, or, um, you know, that employers can offer a 401k and really get them to think about what it would take to start putting money into it once they, they hit the job market um, from, from day one versus what typically happens is people wait until they're in their early 30s, then they get serious about it. We really want people to, we really want kids to start thinking about once you get out there and really have your first job, start taking those initial steps, start putting away for the future. There are a lot of people today that are struggling financially, a lot of adults, and they may not be the best savers. And a lot of people are, to be honest, living outside of their means. So what example, what role do parents play in setting a good example for our kids? Well, it's interesting because from the survey, parents are the top 
um, source that teens go to in terms of finding out information about managing money. So obviously, depending on how well those those parents are able to manage money, that also influences how their kids view it. And so um, certainly as a parent, um, I think it's important that um, you know folks get information in terms of you know what responsible money management looks like and, and really impart those lessons on their kids um, because kids really do go to their parents. They role model their parents first and, and foremost. Ed, where can our listeners go for more information? Uh, they can go to our website at ja.org, or we also have a, a resource for teenagers, uh, jamyway.org. Ed, thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Joan. We'll be right back. Are you having trouble getting a good night's sleep? Hi, I'm Dr. Kyle Epicino, a chiropractor and founder of Health on Main, located in Little Falls, New Jersey. These five tips can help you on your way to a more restful and refreshing sleep. Set a consistent time to go to bed and shoot for that time each night. Establishing bedtime habits are important for healthy sleep. Avoid afternoon and evening caffeine. Caffeinated drinks and snacks are stimulants and can have a strong neurologic effect for up to 12 hours after they are consumed. Caffeine is also a diuretic, which allows your body to eliminate water, causing those nighttime trips to the bathroom. Keep yourself cool. Your bedroom temperature should be on the cooler side in both the summer and in the winter months, so set your thermostat around 68 degrees or cooler. Limit your screen time. Recent studies are demonstrating the clear correlation between screen time and sleep issues. The flashing lights as well as what you're viewing on your TV, smartphone, computer, or tablet can potentially disrupt your rejuvenating sleep. So put down the phone, turn off your devices, and set it to do not disturb at least 30 minutes before your bedtime. The number five on today's list would be to calm your body and your mind. I recommend a refreshing shower before bedtime to remove the impurities on your body that are collected throughout your day. Get into clean bedtime clothes and try this breathing exercise. Begin by taking a slow, deep breath in through your nose and hold it for a count of five. Then slowly breathe again out of your mouth for another count of five. Do this four more times. I'm Dr. Kyle Pacino. If you or someone that you are caring about is having trouble with sleep, please give our office a call and let's find a solution to this issue together. My number is 973-832-6722 or visit me at healthonmain.info. Do you struggle with your health? Do you look in the mirror every day and say, I don't understand why I feel so sick? Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired? Do you have a child who is sick all the time? How about a spouse? Hi, I'm Sarah Outlaw from Natural Health Improvement Centers of South Jersey and Des Moines. Nutrition response testing uses a form of muscle testing that you can find from any good kinesiologist across the country. Muscle testing is something that actually gets to the root cause of health issues, unlike anything you've ever seen before. I want you to think of the last time you went to the doctor. Did they do blood work? What other kind of testing did they do? Many doctors aren't even doing any testing at all. They are just giving you the chance to give them a list of symptoms, and then they are giving you a medication. The problem with medication is that it doesn't get to the root cause of the health issues that you are experiencing. Medication bypasses the body's natural system of healing to force the body to make a change. This is not okay if you want true healing. What nutrition response testing and muscle testing will do for you and any type of kinesiology that you can find at a chiropractor or another healthcare practitioner who does it is a way to actually pinpoint a food sensitivity, an immune system challenge, a metal or chemical sensitivity, or even a mold sensitivity. I urge you to find someone near you and if you need some help finding someone, please contact our office and we can help you do that. Your health is only a phone call away and our goal as a practice is to help you no matter where you are. Not only if you need to just come to us, but if you can come to anyone in the country. Your health matters. Take care of you because you can't pour from an empty cup. Feng Shui is an ancient Chinese art which creates harmony and balance between you and your personal space. Hi, this is Roxanne D'Angelo, a Feng Shui and space clearing consultant. When our environment is in perfect balance, the effects can be felt within each of our four body systems, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. One of the first areas to be addressed when making adjustments in our personal environments in Feng Shui is to clear clutter. Since everything is made of energy and carries a specific vibration of frequency, clearing clutter is of utmost importance. Clutter holds multiple levels levels of vibrational frequencies, making it impossible for energy to flow freely. Once you have cleared any clutter, then adjustments can be made to specific areas in your personal space, enhancing the flow of energy. Let's take a look at unseen energies, discordant energies such as negative energy from angry people, any type of illness, death, abuse, divorce, and depression can leave their impression in our personal environment. These energies can attach to our auric field from the moment we step foot into a space, leaving us feeling uncomfortable. These are just a few of the many 
aspects in the field of feng shui that can help shift the flow of energy. Others to consider are space clearing, feng shui remedies, furniture rearranging, color selections, implementing the principles of the Bagua map, and the five elements. All these components have the ability to affect our wealth and prosperity, fame, love, family, health, children and creativity, knowledge and wisdom, career, travel, and mentors. How our environment looks and feels on the outside is a reflection of how we look and feel on the inside. If you would like more information, you can reach me on the web at crystalclearenergies.com or call 201-615-0960. productive life, but sometimes we just need a little help. Our Coach on Call experts provide strategies to help you live your best life now. Joining me today is Linda Mitchell, a transformational life coach and reinvention expert who helps your clients move through life's challenges and transitions with purpose, passion, and clarity to emerge more powerful, fulfilled, and purposeful. Linda is here today to discuss simplifying your schedule to save your sanity. Welcome, Linda. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me back, Joan. So Linda, being too busy is one of the biggest stressors for most people. With so many responsibilities and opportunities, it's easy to end up being overscheduled and there's hardly any time to relax. So how do we get so far out of balance and what can we do to combat this problem that so many of us face? Well, Joan, I believe the biggest reason is because our culture truly does applaud busyness. We hear things like, If you want something done, give it to a busy person, as if busy people are more important, smarter, or more valuable somehow. And the second part of this is that most of us have bought into this fallacy, and we think we have to be superhuman. We think we should do it all and be it all. We love to tell each other how crazy busy we are because we feel important and valuable. It's like we're subconsciously validating ourselves by being overly busy. The last piece lies in feeling like we can't let anyone down. Sometimes, even if you know that saying no to someone would serve you better, we say yes anyway because we hate to let others down. So I invite people right now to ask themselves these quick questions. Do you push yourself past your natural limits because you think you need to do and be it all? Do you feel guilty about leaving things undone for a bit? Or do you believe that enjoying some downtime will just result in feeling even more swamped afterwards? Is it easier for you to just take on one more task because you believe you'd be letting someone down if you say no? If any of this resonates with you, you're probably stressed, overwhelmed, and way overdue for some R&R. You're buying into the societal values instead of sticking to your own personal values. And I'm speaking from personal experience. After many years of being on the proverbial hamster wheel, I finally learned that being busy all the time doesn't make me a better person or win me any awards for the crazy schedule or the longest to-do list. All it did was keep me stressed. We need a perspective change in order to simplify our schedules and save our sanity. The truth is, the happier, smarter, and more fulfilled person finds a way to balance work and home life without guilt or self-criticism. You can be busy and productive while still finding time to rest rejuvenate and save your sanity. This may sound like a pipe dream if your schedule is so full that you can barely find time to meet all your responsibilities, let alone schedule downtime. But creating this balance begins with that perspective change. If you believe walking away from your to-do list before it's complete makes you lazy, unfocused, or a slacker, let's reframe that thinking. Taking time to rest and recharge is much different than laziness. And it's what you need most if you expect to continue to be productive, focused, and creative. Linda, as you were asking those questions, I could hear our listeners shouting yes to answering Mm. them. So can you give us some tips that can help us simplify our schedules? Yes, sure. Um, These are things I do. Leave buffers in your schedule. When every moment is spoken for, all it takes is one unexpected interruption or incident to suddenly be running behind. The best thing you can do for your schedule is to build in some buffers. It's easy to underestimate the time a task will take, so plan 15-minute catch-up periods throughout the day. Two, set limits and don't try to do it all. It's easy to justify busyness if everything on our plate is a good thing. Being busy is not a bad thing. However, if you're stressed because you're overcommitted and you barely have time to breathe, you're definitely doing too much. You 
inevitably become cranky and exhausted. Instead, discern your priorities. Whittle down to the essentials and delegate necessary items that can be done by others. You'll feel more energetic and enthusiastic instead of burdened by obligations. And three is to just say no. Choose which activities add value to your life and decide to let go of others. When you recognize that you can never do it all, it's easier to be satisfied with only doing the most important things. Also, if you're doing things simply because others expect you to, it's time to put some healthy boundaries in place and just say no. Don't allow others to dictate your schedule out of fear of disappointing or upsetting them. Always pleasing other people creates resentment and usually backfires. Linda, the last one, just say no. That's a very difficult thing for many people to do. So what's really behind the difficulty in saying no? It is one of the hardest for a few reasons. Some I've already mentioned, and then there's FOMO, fear of missing out. When opportunities come along, we don't want to miss out. We hear messages like, the early bird gets the worm, and if you don't jump on the opportunity, someone else will. Messages like these create that fear of missing out. But we need to recognize not every opportunity is right for you. So it's time to get clear on and choose only what's in alignment with your mission and purpose. Creating and sticking to some healthy boundaries makes it easier and keeps you from running in a million directions. We'll never successfully do it all, so prioritizing is the key. Remember, balance in life is one of the essential elements of feeling happy and fulfilled. Simplifying your schedule is possible, but give yourself time as you adjust to this new healthy habit. Actually, make relaxation an entry on your to-do list. Shifting your perspective will be easier as you find yourself less frenzied, more balanced, and more joy-filled. It's really worth the effort. Linda, thank you so much for joining us. If you would like to learn more about this topic or Linda and her work, you can visit her website, livinginspiredcoaching.com. And as always, to hear more from Linda, you can visit our website, cyacyl.com slash Linda. The trick is to enjoy life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones ahead. I recently stumbled upon this quote by Marjorie Pay Hinckley. Marjorie's words got me to thinking about my life and how I've rushed most of it away, not being fully present or savoring the joy of any moment. Hi, this is Joan Herman here with a lesson learned while earning my PhD in life. Don't wish away your days waiting for better ones. When I was a teenager, I couldn't wait to grow up so I could drink or go to college or even get married. When my children were infants and toddlers, I muddled through most days in anticipation of the evening when they would go to sleep, and I thought about when they would be older and more self-sufficient. When I was the caregiver for my parents, I struggled through those years frazzled and exhausted. When I held job positions that were unfulfilling, I wished for the day that I would find employment that made me happy. Looking back, I can't recall one period in my life in which I wasn't looking ahead to something different or better. The sad thing is that it took tremendous loss to wake me up. The loss of my marriage, the deaths of my parents and siblings, my children growing up and moving on with their lives. Now, I strive to live in the present moment. All those quotes about leaving the past behind and not worrying about the future are so true. When you live in the past or try to anticipate the future, you miss the here and now. So what can you do? When you're dealing with a challenge, look for the positive and learn from the experience. If you're caring for a sick loved one, treasure every minute because I promise you one day you would give anything to nurse that person again. If your children are driving you crazy, remember that sooner than you'll like, they will be moving out and starting their own lives. All the seemingly insignificant moments, both good and bad, are as Paul Anka said, the times of your life. Enjoy them all. Thank you for spending this time with me. For more inspiration and empowering tools, visit joanherman.com. Start the year defining your priorities and with a plan to stress less. Hi, this is Angela Vlakonchik, and I'm a stress management specialist from Bridge Management Consulting, offering teachable stress management skills. Taking time to reflect and look at your life, what's working and what's not, is important. So how can you stress less in the new year? First of all, be true to yourself. Be honest. Take out a notepad and see how you're doing with your mind, body, and soul. What can you do to bring balance back into your life? Is there any area that's taking over? 
and what area needs more attention. Then, instead of a to-do list, create a being list. Who do I want to be? What do I want in my life? For example, I want to be calm, appreciative, funny, generous. Items that you personally value and want in your life. Write down everything that comes to you first, and then what actions you can take to bring that into your life. For example, I want to be more appreciative. So what I'm going to do is verbally compliment people who are helping me. I want to be more calm. So the first 15 minutes of the day, I'll spend in quiet reflection. These are just a few tips on how you can bring about the new year that you desire. For more info on stress management seminars and workshops, visit bridgemanagementconsulting.com. Do you find it challenging to keep a positive frame of mind and well-being in your busy lifestyle? Are there so many things that you are responsible for that you find there is limited time and energy to care for your own well-being? Hi, my name is Laura D'Amato and I'm a certified reflexologist practicing in holistic healing therapy for wellness in mind, body, and soul. What if you were to take some simple steps daily that can improve your own well-being and make you feel more content, happier, and healthier? I specialize in helping people to improve their health by releasing stress, anxiety, and underlying causes of illness. Here are some tips for a recipe for wellness. Begin and end each day in gratitude. Look for the blessing in all your circumstances, even during the challenging times. Add an ample rest to help your body do the work it needs to do, even if that means taking a nap during the day. Feed your body healthy food by eating fresh, non-GMO vegetables and fruits while limiting processed foods. Drink water and bless and enjoy all that you eat. Add in 10 to 20 minutes of a mixture of sunshine, fresh air, and a form of exercise like walking. Sprinkle on much laughter and you will have a recipe for creating your own well-being. This is Aura D'Amato. If you are interested in learning more, please view my website at auradamato.com or you can book a healing session with me by phone or in person at 732-224-8441. That's it for today's show. Thank you for joining us. I hope you found the show informative. At Conversations with Joan, we believe that knowledge is power. Take what you've learned, apply it, and live your best life now. Remember that the information provided are the opinions of our guests and should never replace the advice of a professional who knows your personal situation. If you'd like more information, visit our website, cyacyl.com. That stands for Change Your Attitude, Change Your Life. While on the site, listen to past shows on demand, read our digital magazine, take part in the book club, check out our team, and be sure to follow the show on social media. Until next time, this is Joan Herman. Thanks for tuning in. The preceding pre-recorded program sponsored by Maximilian Communications, LLC.